0: It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the Sports Department of the Providence Journal. Featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is sports writer Bill Koch. Bill, the last time you and I sat at a table across from each other and talked Red Sox, uh, the Red Sox were about to open a four-game series against the New York Yankees. Uh, that was, uh, let's say, a little over a week ago. Uh, since then, I believe they've been 5-6, and six, but they've been 8-8 eight and eight since the All-Star break. They are sitting in second place in the American League East, one and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. And, Bill, uh, you might have noticed that the trade deadline came and went, but uh, you're forgiven if you didn't notice it because the Red Sox really didn't make it a memorable one. Boy, what the heck happened? It's a
1: very rosy portrayal, Bill Corey. That's usually (laughs) my category. Uh, Eight and eight since the All-Star break, as you mentioned. A a four-game losing streak, which is a season high. Uh, You're swept at the Rays. You go into the series one and a half games ahead in first place in the American League East. You come out one and a half games behind. Uh, your rivals in the division, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, were all aggressive at the deadline, and they all authored three-game sweeps this weekend. Uh, you've managed to lose three games right. to you, all three teams you, <laughs> in the standing. You, you were one of the victims of those sweeps as well. It's not great. It's not
0: good at all. So let's, let's unpack this. Uh, so the trade deadline was on Friday, and uh, the Red Sox picked up uh, Kyle Schwarber, outfielder, who is... Uh, currently on the IL, and is probably a couple of weeks away from joining the team, if then. Uh, And uh, a couple of guys who apparently are Major League pitchers, too. Allegedly, Hans, Hansel Robles and some other guy, Austin Davis, him too. Yes. Uh, so these are, these weren't exactly <laughs> these weren't exactly major blockbuster trade deadline acquisitions. And uh, I have to say, Bill, and I'm sure you agree that it's been it was a very disappointing trade deadline for the Red Sox. You
1: know, all joking aside, um, I wasn't surprised necessarily by what the Red Sox did, but I was still disappointed in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that those two things can be mutually exclusive. I I think uh, they have espoused a certain philosophy here um, since firing Dave Dombrowski, bringing in High and Bloom. I think that comes from John Henry, um, the very top of the organization. Uh, But I think you've seen an adherence to financial prudence, um, to trying to develop from within, to build the system. Uh, to lengthen the list of worthwhile prospects who, who could ultimately become major leaguers. Uh, and I think that that's all well and good. And, and generally, those are good goals to have if you are an organization. Where my disappointment comes in is when you're sitting there at 63 and 40 and you're in first place in the American League East and you have the best record in the American League, that <clears throat> ownership and front office didn't appear to fully back this team as a contender, as some other teams in the American League who were trailing them behaved at the deadline. Well, th- that's the thing that was
0: frustrating. They they behaved like they were a three, uh, um, you know, in the three spot or or in the second second place in the division. They they were all for, for for all intents and purposes in first place all year long, for the most part. And you know, you look around at your division rivals, and all of them. I think unquestionably got better. I mean, uh, let's start with the Yankees. They got Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. Uh, they got they, they paid immediate dividends there. The Yankees. It wouldn't have been a surprise if the Yankees decided they were going to be sellers instead of buyers because they were seven games out and yeah. you know. But um and and uh the Red Sox I believe. Uh, in that series
1: a week and a half ago. I think they, they went 3-1 and one against the Yankees. At one point, the Red Sox were, I want to say, they were 10 games ahead of the Yankees yeah. in the loss column. But that's not what the Yankees did, and
0: that's not what the Yankees usually do. They usually are not sellers. They usually are buyers. And, you know, seven games with you know two months to play is not unheard of. No, and if you're a Red Sox no. fan, you certainly remember the years when the Yankees have come back from larger deficits than that. So the the Yankees certainly uh, improved themselves. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays picked up a pitcher that you talked very highly of the last time we talked about uh, last time we did the podcast, and that was um, uh, Barrios yeah. uh, uh, from uh, the Twins. Um, so they clearly are still uh, fighting for uh, some some uh, relevance this season and and the Tampa Bay Rays by the way are in first place now uh, the, those pesky Rays that clearly won't go away oh and they added Nelson Cruz I believe yeah uh, so yeah all of these teams that you are fighting tooth and nail with now all got better and uh, you know you clearly I don't think really improved
1: yourself that much with these trades Yeah. Um, Boy, Chris Sale better be really, really good. Yeah, you put a lot of pressure on Chris Sale now. Uh, the, the starting rotation, I think, was the area of, of greatest deficiency, even more so than first base. In my mind, you're mm-hmm. 20th in starters' ERA currently. Yep. Um, and in the postseason, you want to have good options there. Uh, you know, it stands to reason right now that Nathan Valdi would start your first game in a playoff series. So you you hope that Chris Sale would be in contention. For that, either starting the first game or the second game. Yep. Beyond that, name me your game three starter. Is it Nick Pavetta? Yeah, yeah who Most knows. Most likely. Could be. You know, do you feel yeah. great about Nick Pavetta starting potentially two games in a seven game series?
0: I probably feel better than, about him than anyone else at this point.
1: You know, unless you know? unless you're gonna decide it's Tanner Hauck team Tanner Hawk time and you're yep. gonna throw him out there for two turns through the uh, through the opposing batting order and then bullpen the rest. Which you very well could. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, but I, I thought that starting pitching in terms of your October prospects was the most important thing that, that you could bolster. Um, you know, obviously first base, I understand they're last in the league and wins above replacement there. Um, there is a clear need there and, and it seemed to be a perfect fit if you had traded for Anthony Rizzo. I, I understand that. Um, I had my reasons for not trading Anthony Rizzo. First, he's not vaccinated. I I don't think you want to invite that into your clubhouse and risk an outbreak in September and October. The second thing is, you know, to this point in the season, he hasn't been all that good. Yeah, Um, His numbers were fairly middling um, offensively. His defense, so-so, not necessarily to the point where it has been. In the past, he's still a good defensive first baseman, but um, you know, maybe not the the Gold Glove elite standard that he was at mm-hmm. while the Cubs were winning a championship. Um, you know, so I yes, he's a fit. Um, I don't necessarily know if if I would have gone all in for him. Uh, I prefer Jonathan Scope. The Tigers didn't move him. Um, I understand why the Red Sox would think that you could trade for Kyle Schwarber and just play him there? Because the Red Sox seem to think that you can just play anybody at first base. (laughs) I think. Well, look at who they've used so far.
0: Kyle Schwarber has had a really uh, long and extensive career playing first base. Hasn't he, Bill? I think it's one game. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think it's one game. Yeah. So, um, you know, the other frustrating thing, too, is, you know, the Red Sox are, um, they seemed reticent to part with some of their top tier prospects but they're in first they were in first place right this is the time to make sort of those it's one thing if you're in third place and you're figuring well we're not going to get rid of our blue chips at this point right uh but you know you are sort of given this gift of being you know i don't want to make it sound like it's a, it was just luck i mean they they played very well but Nobody expected them, perhaps except for maybe themselves, to be in first place at the at the break. They were. They had an opportunity, and I don't want to make it sound like it's over yet either. I mean, there's 55 games left to play, but it's frustrating to basically play 500 balls since the break and see all of your rivals pick up pieces to to uh, improve themselves, and you hasn't really th- that hasn't really looked like you have. But you know this is the time to maybe deal away some of these people if you're going to get a starting pitcher that's going to help you now that maybe you can keep for a few years.
1: Yeah, the, you know, the, the guy that I would have really liked to have seen them be aggressive on was Jose Barrios, yeah. uh, you know, for various reasons. First, I think he's a very good pitcher, um, and I think that he's somebody who could have helped them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who certainly... Would be starting one of the first two games of a seven-game series, uh, you know, and and certainly, if if Alex Cora decided to put him in Game Three, you'd feel pretty good about him going out there in Game Seven. Well, he's the right age. Contract situation is he's is, twenty-seven. He's it, it. he's under team control through next season, right? And who's to say you and you know who's to say you wouldn't be able to sign him after that? He also happens to have pitched for Alex Cora in the World Baseball Classic in twenty seventeen, representing Puerto Rico. Yeah, so you've got a relationship there already. There's a relationship there already there is an exclusive window to negotiate an extension with Jose Barrios Mm -hmm. as a 28-year-old going into free agency. If you'd like to extend a five or six-year offer in the low 20s, 126, 132, somewhere along those lines, I think you could make a deal with him. It stands to reason that your rotation going forward, if you're going to project, includes Chris Sale, might include Nathan Evaldi if you give him a year or two extension on his contract. Yep. If not, and you let him walk, that's a significant a significant chunk of money that comes off that you could pay Jose Barrios. You also have guys at the back end, like Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck, who aren't going to be making much money at all right. through the next two or three years. So if it's Sale and Barrios making all the money at the top of the rotation, and you have Houck, Whitlock, and, and some combination of whoever else in the five, six, seven spots, Sort of like they've done this year, where their starters aren't necessarily very highly paid. I think you could cobble in somebody like a Jose Barrios. Now, folks, look at the you know what the what the Blue Jays gave up to the Twins, and, and they say, you know, okay, they gave up two of their top four prospects. Yep. And I get that, and I understand that that is a significant cost, and and I understand that. Um, You know, that is something that you look to the future and you say, well, we've eroded our system a little bit. And and if you're the Red Sox, you don't necessarily think that you have the deepest system in baseball. You're still in the bottom third Mm -hmm. and and you're still somebody who's rebuilding. Um, But if someone came to me and said you could trade Jeter Downs and Gilberto Jimenez and get seven years of Jose Barrios for that, I would do it. I wouldn't have much hesitancy doing it either. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to, to have prospects that you hope will become
0: uh, solid major league players. It's another thing to be able to get a solid major league player now in his prime and probably be able to keep him for three, four, five years moving forward as a, as a key piece of your rotation.
1: This is not Larry Anderson for Jeff Badwell. No. And, the, and, and, and I am not saying that you should have traded Tristan Casas for Max Scherzer. Who's a rental? Yeah, who's 35, 36 years old?
0: Yeah, and, and who already expressed that he wanted to play on the West Coast or whatever? You know, probably wasn't going to be here for a long time. Even if they, even if he did come here for this year,
1: that's right. You know, I am not suggesting to make that sort of trade. I, I don't want you to trade Jaron Duran for Anthony Rizzo. I, I am not saying that in the least. I, I think that you can identify a handful of guys in your top seven, eight, ten. <coughs> Who you say? Nope, this guy's not moving. You know, we have plans for him going forward. We think he's going to be here soon. It's going to take somebody you have who's in his twenties, who's under team control for at least another year or two. Yep. Um, you know, who's not hitting free agency, and we're not paying huge money to. Um, that's the only way that I would part with guys like that. But I, I would look at the Red Sox and their history of prospects, and and I would remind folks that prospects just you know on the whole just generally you know you can look and say well this guy's a can't miss guy and you know this guy is the number one prospect in the sport and you look at some of the guys that the Red Sox have had like Xander Bogarts was a top prospect in baseball Raphael Devers was a big-time prospect Uh, Mookie Betts ended up being a big-time prospect you know those championship teams that they had in 07, in 13, and in 18 particularly, had a lot of homegrown players on there. And there is certainly benefit to keeping some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but prospects, just generally, they represent possibility, not current reality. The The growth and the development of guys who end up being on your major league club, it's not linear, and it's not definite. Right. Um, you can put them in certain positions to succeed, and you can hope that it's going to work. But what gets in the way? Health, physical conditioning, you have an off-field issue, somebody's homesick, somebody breaks up with a significant other, somebody has something go wrong in their family, uh, somebody has addiction issues. Who knows what it may be? But you're a long way from drafting a player or signing an international free agent to getting that player into the big leagues and having them be... An impact contributor for you. You look at the Red Sox, and the guys at Sox Prospects do a great job. If, if you haven't checked out Boston's system, go to SoxProspects.com. It's an invaluable resource in terms of who Boston has in the pipeline. There's scouting reports there. All sorts of great information And historic
0: there. information, too, right? It goes back.
1: Yes, which led me to going back about a decade and looking at who their top prospects were in April 2011. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, which means those guys were 20, 21-ish, yep. 22-ish, yep. which stands to reason they'd be 32 now and, and just, you know, approaching like probably the 12th hole. Yeah. The so, sort of on of the their ba- prime. Right. The, the, you end, know? the sunset of their prime, let's say. Some of the guys included there in the top 10. Mm. Ryan Kalish. I remember him. Anthony Ronaldo, Wow. Drake Britton. Stolme Pimentel, who was traded, I think, in the Josh Beckett deal Wow, to the Marlins. Yep. Oscar Tejada, Yamiko Navarro and Colburn Vidic, who never played the major league yeah I don't think you read I don't think you read the name of one Hall of Famer there <laughs> <laughs> you know there, there are some other guys who have been the top prospect in the system at a given time according to the folks at Sox prospects yep. Freddie Sanchez yeah Lars Anderson was a guy you could have traded and gotten a lot for that's right at I a certain time
0: that's right there was a time where, where he certainly would have gotten you some some uh, some good players
1: and Michael Chavis. Who was just dealt
0: to the Pirates f- for
1: Austin Davis? Right. If you trade Michael Chavis before his PED suspension, before his debut, he's a consensus top hundred prospect mm-hmm. in baseball. You move him in 2017, you're getting a lot for a guy's a first round pick who shows big power, yep. who is a quick riser in the Red Sox system, and you look and say that kid's going to be a big leaguer at some point. Yeah, so there is inherent risk. In holding on to these guys, in trying to say, we're going to keep a huge amount of these guys and just hope that a few of them hit, that's not to say that you should turn around and trade them for a 35-year-old rental, but if you can get a 20-something controllable player who is under team contract, under arbitration for a few years, and you have a realistic chance of extending him, keeping him here because you are the Red Sox and you have that sort of financial muscle, Mm -hmm. you should move in that direction. Uh, and especially going into this offseason, the Red Sox have a big 40-man roster crunch coming up. They have a lot of these guys that they're going to have to protect right? Uh, and not expose them to the Rule 5 draft. You could have traded an accumulation of them, a package of them, for an impact player or two here at this deadline. Right, and prioritize keeping that person rather
0: than this whole bunch of players that may or may not hit on anything. So uh, let, let's take a quick look here at some of the guys that they got in return. Uh, Kyle Schwarber So he's 28 uh, he's had a, He had a good season in Washington uh, Signed a one year $10 million deal in the offseason He played 72 games Hit 253 uh, slash 253 340, 570, 25 homers 53 RBIs, hasn't played in a month He's got a severely strained Hamstring Right. Uh, so they're saying probably a couple of weeks Away uh, has only played in the National League, so coming over to the American League affords him the opportunity to play some DH. I know there's talk of him being the first baseman. Uh, again, you, you pointed out he's played all of one game over there, so we'll see how that goes. So, Bill, if, if I could have you get into the mind of Haim Bloom, what made Kyle Schwarber uh, an attractive trade prospect? Was it because the guys they really wanted to get weren't available, and so they went and got an outfielder? What does he bring to the Red Sox?
1: I think the price was right, certainly. And, yeah. and I, I consider all of their trades in that category. The price was right. It yep. was something they felt like they would pay. Uh, Schwarber's a left-handed bat, which allows them to sit guys like Bobby Dahlbeck, guys like Hunter Renfro against right-handed pitching. Yep. Um, you know, I, th- I see a lot of platooning coming up here. With the Red Sox, I think you're going to have a lineup against a right-handed pitcher and a lineup against a left-handed pitcher. Um, and I certainly think that we see the Rays do that to this point. You have a lefty out there, they somehow managed to find nine righties to put in the lineup. You <laughs> right. have a righty out there, they somehow managed to find nine lefties to put in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, I see the Red Sox as, as adhering to platoon advantages as much as they can. Schwarber's going to help them do that because he's better against right-handed pitching than, than Renfro. yeah, uh, And certainly better than Dahlbeck. Uh, Whether or not he can play first base, as I said earlier. We'll see. I don't really think they care. Uh, I mean, they've tried Dahlbeck there, Danny Santana there, Christian Arroyo there, Marvin Gonzalez there, Kevin Ploiecki there, Christian Vasquez there. Um, I just don't think they care. I don't think they consider it a defensive position. I I think they consider it a spot where you can put a bat in the lineup and worry about the rest later. Hmm. Uh, I also think that they're just keeping that seat warm for Tristan Casas, who, who, if you've watched any Olympic baseball, has two home runs in the competition. Certainly does not look out of place. Right. Um, you know his numbers at Portland are, are moderate, but when you consider that he's 21 years old and playing in Double A and is one of the youngest players in the league, pretty good. You can kind of see where it's going. Yeah, with that guy, yeah, you, you you may see him here in a, in a couple of seasons. You you genuinely think that he has a chance to be here, maybe in the second half of next year, yeah. maybe in 2023. Mm-hmm. I think they have a lot of stock invested in him, um, so they're not going to make a move for someone like. You know, Jesus Aguilar, who has more tenure on his contract and and could have been through, you know, the next couple of years. They're not going to trade for like Joey Votto, let's say, you know, because Joey Votto signed for X number of years still. Um, And they're not going to block Casas if all of a sudden he makes a huge jump, you know, when he comes back from the Olympics or at the start of next year, if he's just destroying Portland. And he goes to Worcester and he destroys Wor- Worcester for 30 games. And you're just like, "Whoa, well, this kid's ready, you know, right now. And you've got some veteran with tenure who you're paying eight figures to a year. You know, they're just not going to do that. Right, right. Um, but Schwarber, I, I would say, you know, I took a little deeper dive into Schwarber's numbers uh, today. His first 51 games this year, he had a 716 OPS. Kevin Ploiecki's OPS is 721. <laughs> so not great. Yeah, then he goes ballistic and hits sixteen home runs in nineteen games in June. Right. Completely lost his mind <laughs> at the end of June. His OPS all of a sudden's over nine hundred and you're just like, wow, he's having a great year. Right, right. He hasn't had a great year. He had a great three weeks. Yeah. Now, you hope that he can produce another great three weeks yeah, sure. with the Red Sox. Or six weeks. <laughs> you know, and his career OPS, I want to say, is right around 820, 830, somewhere yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. So he's a good player. Yeah. He's not the 716 OPS guy. He's not the 16 home runs in 19 games guy either. Right. He's somewhere in the middle. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily think, if I was a Red Sox fan, that this is going to be the lineup savior. That he's going to be the guy who comes in and, oh my goodness, you know, all of a sudden, he's going to perform like an MVP down the stretch because right. he's Kyle Schwarber. But that's not who he is. That's mm-hmm. not who he's ever been. He has stretches where he can get hot, where he can be an above average hitter. Yep. He's going to have some other stretches where he strikes out a ton and, and looks overmatched.
0: I seem to remember another Red Sox outfielder who's no longer on the team that would go have these uh, extreme peaks and valleys, too. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., who looked like a Ted Williams for about three weeks wow. every year, and then couldn't hit the, the side of a barn. But so that
1: could be that could be a little generous yeah. to, to Jackie Bradley Jr. But I don't I, think, I think Schwarber's, Schwarber's swings are. Better hitter.
0: Yeah, I don't think Schwarber's swings are quite as uh, dramatic, but. Um, but so one of your uh, one of your cockamamie conspiracy theories, Bill, is that this may be a replacement for <laughs> JD Martinez. So tell me about that.
1: Well, the the interesting thing about Schwarber, and, and if we're gonna if we're gonna look at Red Sox moves through the prism of they all have future value, yeah. in some way, shape, or form, Schwarber has a mutual option for 2022 next year for 11.5 million. Okay, it's a three million dollar buyout. So he and the team has to have to agree to do it. Yes, um, that's that's what I assume. I haven't seen the contract. Yep. I, I just assume that mutual option is very cut that's and dry, simple. It yeah, but yeah. there could be additional language in there. I don't know what it is. Yep. Um, you know, like if if he reaches plate appearances, he could opt out. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I am just going to take it for what it's worth. That they say mutual option. If he agrees and the club agrees, they can extend him one year for eleven point five million. That's about half of what J.D. Martinez makes. J.D. Martinez has an opt-out provision in his contract coming up at the end of this season. It's the last one mm-hmm. in his five-year deal. And Martinez has struggled a bit lately. He, he's had a hard time. I think he's five for 42 yeah. now. Um, you know, did not have a good time in Tampa in right. that series. Right. Martinez makes double that. He's on the books for $22 million a year. If he opts out, you know Chaim Bloom is not paying a designated hitter $110 million no. for five years. <laughs> he does not consider that good value. He considers that wasted money. He thinks you can get 80%, 90% of J.D. Martinez's offense for X amount of the price. Right. He would not pay the top dollar, the top DH on the market. He wants a guy who can be position flexible, who can give you something on defense, uh, who could play the outfield more than 20, 30, 40 games who could DH you know, as maybe a platoon guy right and left and, and use the DH to get someone a day off and whatever else. So did he bring in Kyle Schwarber with the idea that he's J.D. Martinez insurance right. for next season and that he'll mm-hmm. just play the outfield and he'll be able to do it for a few more games than Martinez and they could platoon him in right field if they tend to a contract yep, and maybe they can platoon him with Kike Hernandez and play Alex Verdugo in center field if there's a right-handed pitcher? I think that there might have been, in the back of Haim Bloom's mind, a little bit of a view to the long term. A little bit of a hedge there. A little bit of a hedge. And I wonder if J.D. Martinez is the 2018 version, the 2019 version, the first two and a half months of 2021 version, that's an offensive downgrade if Kyle Schwarber is your full-time DA. Sure. Sure. It just is. Martinez, an elite hitter. Now, he's 2020, really struggled. This year, the second half, he's showing some signs maybe of being 32 33. Yeah, he's certainly a little bit of a big body guy. Certainly
0: cooled off. And I don't know about you, Bill, but whenever I see him out there tumbling in the outfield, you kind of hold a, your breath a little bit. Is he going to come up okay? Is he going to, you know, grab his knee or his, his ankle? You know, he's a lumberer out there. Yeah, he's
1: not a he, graceful, he sleek outfielder. Um, but I, I just wonder if maybe that's a way of the Red Sox trying to save some cash at the designated hitter spot. I'm, I'm curious how aggressive they might be in exercising that mutual option and, and how different the landscape will look for Martinez if while they're renegotiating the, renegotiating the collective bargaining agreement, if the universal DH comes in. Hmm. And he decides, I've had a decent year and I want 30 teams to bid for me instead of 15. Yeah, that's a good point. And at the very least, I want a year or two tacked on to the end of my contract. Um, you know, I think that I can sign a three-year deal and I might have to take a pay cut in the short term. It might not be the $19.375 million that I'm due to make in 2022, but it could be 45 right. or 48 or 51 over three years. Yep. And there might be a contender in the National League who is deficient bats who says, hey, we can get JD now. We can just DH him. Right. It'll be okay. You, know, you could take a team like... I don't know. Somebody like Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, who might be struggling for a bat. And Ronald Acuna might not be back yet. And they might have some money to spend and they might decide, hey, let's bring in JD Martinez. Hmm. He's a nice stopgap sure. until Acuna comes back. Sure. And then we'll de age him. Yep. And he's just going to mash against, you know, whoever. Right. Why wouldn't the Mets bid on him if they're looking for a designated hitter and they've already spent on Lindor and for some reason DeGrom is healthy and they think we're still in the window? We're gonna win the National League East this year, we're mm-hmm. gonna do it again next year. Let's go for it. Yeah. Steve Cohen's got deep pockets. He doesn't care. Right. right. He's ready to set money on fire by <laughs> by the looks of things. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, so I don't think he'd blink at paying JD Martinez fifty million if there's a DH in the national mm-hmm. league. So that's something to look at maybe going forward. I, I think that there could be if Schwarber produces down the stretch and they somehow come to a mutual understanding. And Martinez decides that he's going to opt out within five days of the World Series ending, that could be a discussion they have. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think
0: that clearly would be a downgrade offensively, but it depends on what version of JD Martinez you're starting with. You know, mm. uh, if you're if you you're going to give me the June and July, early July version of JD Martinez, sure. But last couple of weeks, maybe not so much. We'll maybe see. not,
1: and certainly not the last year version.
0: No. That rough that rough. was alarming. it was. It was that that was uh that was a wake up call. Although I think a lot of people are uh, a lot of people had years that they don't normally have. So I, I don't know if that was one of those one off, you know, this yes. is a weird year kind of thing, but anyway, so so let's take a look at the uh, the arms they got in this deal. One is uh the esteemed Hansel Robles mm. uh who is uh currently pitching to a uh something like a f- just under 5 ERA, I think I saw um uh, he he made his debut yesterday. I think it was his first time for the Red Sox. I think you're right. It's uh, Sunday night. Yes. Yeah, uh, looked okay in the inning that I saw him through a pitch.
1: scoreless inning. Got, yep. got some help from the defense. That's there was right. a double play in there. Yep. There was a line out in there.
0: Yeah, a couple of hard hit balls that were uh, mm-hmm. that were uh, fielded well. Mm-hmm. So so uh, where does he fit in?
1: Uh, I, I just think he's a guy who's... A you, lo- he's just another arm out there, I right? think he's a low leverage guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alex Cora, generally, his first time as the manager and now, his bullpen tends to operate as an A group and a B group. Yep. Uh The A group is Barnes, Taylor, Ottavino um, at times, Sawamura. Mm. At times, Hernandez. You know, depending on whether or not they're in the circle of trust. Right. Right. Whitlock certainly. Yes. Yes. For um, sure. Yeah. You know, but definitely the guys who you're going to see out there with a one run lead: Barnes, Taylor, Adavino, Whitlock. Yeah. Yeah. The rest are uh, the B are group. Sort of the B group. Yeah. If you're down by two runs, down by three runs, right, you might see them come into a game and maybe the offense scores a couple runs. But Cora learned this from Terry Francona. Who was just very open and, and used to say we're not going to chase wins. Don't chase wins, you know. And and he had discussions with Cora, right, right. When he went into you know managerial role and he said don't chase wins. And what he meant by that, Bill, uh, was I, I think
0: was that hey, if you're losing and it doesn't look like you're going to be uh, be able to make this a game, don't bring your best guys in because you may need them tomorrow when you're winning. That's right.
1: You know, you and know. all of a sudden, your best reliever has eighty appearances, and you're like, "What happened?" Right.
0: <laughs> well, you brought him into all these games right. where you where you're trailing by two runs, and you lost. You
1: know, and for some reason, <laughs> you end up in October. Uh, and he looks like Tom Gordon and Paul Quantrill did in the 2004 ALCS. Oh, boy. You know, Joe Torre just ran guys into the ground. Those two, uh, Scott Proctor comes to mind. I mean, he abused Scott Proctor like like you would not believe. <laughs> right. um, you know, the previous iterations of Yankee Championship teams, it, it seemed like Jeff Nelson and Graham Lloyd were out there every night. Uh, you know, certainly Rivera got the treatment, you know, while he was setting up Wetland. Uh, one of those years, I think he threw – I mean, he was over 100 innings as a setup man. Uh, it was just – you know, like like something you just would not see right. n- now um you know so i, I think that's you know, both of these guys i think would go into the b group uh hansel robles uh if you look at hansel robles you, you you know you go to baseball savant which is generally a site that you know the analytics folks would would use um as sort of a deeper dive into players The the baseball geeks, as we like to call them. Yeah, and I I classify myself as that, you know, just as a reference point. Mm -hmm. Hansel Robles is in the bottom three, the bottom third percentile in the league in terms of hard hit rate and average exit velocity. Wow. What that means really simply is that guys hit the ball hard against him often. Uh, and if they don't, he'll walk you 13% of the time, right. too. <laughs> right. So generally, you know, I, I'm just uh, – he, he doesn't make me that excited. I, I think he's like, you know, at best, a sixth-inning guy, a fifth-inning guy if your starter blows up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe if you're up five runs, he saves Adam Adovino from an appearance in the eighth. Um, and ideally, you just put him out there and, and you hope that – He has a decent fastball and a changeup off it, and, you know, Alex Cora mentioned he said there are some things that we think we can do with him that that we see on on video. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe they tweak him a little bit and they have him throw his changeup a little less and a slider more his fastball in different parts of the zone, whatever he is. They might look and say he has decent raw materials, but, you know, what he's produced so far, and certainly with Minnesota, uh, was very underwhelming. Right, sure uh
0: and but before we get uh into the next picture, we should mention before we get too far away from it that we, our thoughts and uh best wishes go out to Terry Franco, who stepped aside as the uh yes. Indians manager in the last few days to uh, address some health issues. Obviously, Red Sox fans know that uh tito uh also you know was dealing with health issues here and and uh, you know he's obviously several years down the road from that now, so hopefully it's nothing too serious debilitating hopefully he gets back in the dugout at some point soon here.
1: yes yes
0: um so austin bryce is the other uh, the other uh, austin davis i'm sorry austin davis is the other guy that they got we've already done away with austin <laughs> that's bryce that's right he's, he's <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> too many austins on this team so tell me what austin davis is, is all about
1: uh left-handed reliever from pittsburgh uh had an era pushing 5.60 mm-hmm. uh through 65 appearances in his career um, you know generally would function as a third left hander in their bullpen um, you know somebody who is you know very nondescript type of guy um, you know someone who, who didn't have a lot of prospect capital behind him uh, you know wasn't a first round pick or anything along those lines wasn't huge pedigree in any way um, but i look and i see someone who is under team control through 2025. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's not going to cost them anything if he gets to his arbitration years in Boston? If they decide to tender him each year, next year he's going to make the league minimum. So somebody who's the eleventh, twelfth pitcher on your staff, who's at you know way on the way down on the pecking order in your bullpen, you know, is probably the seventh or eighth guy out there. Right? He's exactly what they want. You're not paying him anything. You know, you're paying Matt Barnes in the mid sevens. He's your closer. Adam Montavino is coming off the books, so Barnes by far is going to make the most money out there. Sure, sure. So what you want is a lefty who you're going to use in matchups against other lefties in a spot in the lineup where they have two left-handed guys and one right-handed guy or or something like that in the fifth or the sixth inning to mix and match when your starter doesn't go long. Um, And you're going to deploy him in that way, only in a way that's advantageous to him. Um, This is a very sort of... Inside baseball, small payroll, small market-type move mm-hmm. that you would see a team like the Rays make. You know Ryan Sheriff is in their bullpen. He pitched in that game Sunday night yep. You know, to come in to face a lefty. I think he struck out Alex Verdugo in, in a key spot late in the game. Right. right. He's in there to go left-left. That's it. Um, and you want to have an extra guy like that behind Darwins and Hernandez, behind Josh Taylor, who they feel comfortable pitching against lefties and righties. So you're going to use him. Earlier in the game, in the fourth inning, maybe in the fifth inning, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a game that you absolutely need to win, but just on the whole, in terms of his general value, in terms of his ability to pitch in the seventh or the eighth inning, in any sort of high leverage situation, that I don't think exists with Austin Davis. So, what was your take on the on the
0: dealing away of Michael Chavis for him? Uh, you know, obviously Chavis, I think. Um and you made this point earlier and it's a good one you know you go back two or three years and, and Chavis' star was a lot brighter um, but to me Austin Davis is just sort of this, this he's just another arm in the in the pen and I suppose you could say well Chavis is just another utility player that, that you call up every now and then when when, when you need him but
1: um, I don't know it just seemed like they could have gotten Austin Davis for less I, I don't know or it seems like if this had been a couple of years ago they tr- could have traded Michael Chavis for more oh, for,
0: certainly couple of years ago sure sure absolutely
1: you know this this is one of those things where I don't think Chavis has a position um you know they've tried to shoehorn him in at second base physically he's a lot quicker than he was two or three years ago he looks a lot more comfortable there right uh Ben Charrington who's the GM in Pittsburgh drafted Michael Chavis in 2014 he was a first round pick of the Red Sox while Charrington was here so it stands to reason that Charrington believes in in his talent Maybe on a different level than than High and Bloom does. Mm-hmm. Uh, pitchers have certainly found a hole in Chavis to swing. Yeah, fastballs at the top of the zone they've yeah. exploited him there. Yeah, he can't. Uh, he can't stay, away, there.
0: can't stay away from him.
1: Um, you know, and he, and he can't find a way to hit them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and that's that's one of those things that you know you 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 see what happens in the major leagues when they find out you have a deficiency. Right. They just pound you and yeah. hammer you right. and pound you. Until you prove them wrong. Until you prove them wrong, there is no mercy. Uh, right. And it's to the point where you're basically, if you're Chavis, you're just not an effective player at this point. You're, you're just not somebody who is going to be an everyday player in Boston. Right. Um, you know, somebody who you look and you say, well, this guy has to play over, you know, player X, player Y, player Z at a certain position. He just doesn't have it. Yep. Um, you know, so you might look and say, you know, as, as British soccer fans would say, he's surplus to requirements. <laughs> so you move him on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could have run into, in a couple of years, an arbitration decision with him. You non-tender him or whatever it may be, and you don't get anything at all for him. Right. Um, you know, so that's, that's one of those that I think he's in a bit of a roster crunch. And, and if you had dealt him, you know, two or three years ago before his PED test, uh, you could have got a lot for him. Yep. Could have. Yep. Now you get to the point where you're getting Austin Davis for him. Um, so he's sort of a cautionary tale for folks who, who want to say, you know, hang on to everybody. Uh, everyone's going to develop. Everyone's going to be a great player. All our first round picks are going to get here and be awesome. Uh, (laughs) it's not always the case. It it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, so, uh, Bill uh, Chris
0: Sale pitched on Sunday in Worcester. Uh, Saturday, Saturday in Worcester. Yeah, and uh, did pretty well, you know, in his uh, in his limited outing. And I guess he's he's uh, on the road uh, today, um, and he's uh,
1: probably going to pitch this coming weekend as well. Uh, supposed to be Saturday, I think, and uh, uh, the and- the seventh. That's yep. Saturday, right? And then after
0: that, who knows, right? So maybe we see him in Boston uh, in two weeks or so. What's your feeling, and and uh, what are you hearing about Chris Sale in terms of returning to the rotation?
1: Well, I think the best thing that happened in his last start was he got all his work in. Yeah, you know, he got the five innings. He got the eighty-one pitches. Um, you know, so he got to go out. He got to go out there and, and do a reasonable amount of work. He threw all his pitches. Um, you know, he did the up and downs. Uh, He's going to do a little travel here? Yeah. (laughs) Worcester (laughs) is going to Scranton?
0: He seemed like he was looking
1: forward to it even, getting on a bus and going to Scranton. You know, I just think that he feels like a baseball player again. I I think all that time at JetBlue Park, with all due respect, it's a lovely facility and it's near his wife and three kids and you know, near his house, uh, you know, just outside Fort Myers, which, which is very comfortable. Yeah. Um, but there is something different to be said when you're in the clubhouse and with the boys and, you know, sort of working with the training staff every day and, you know, you see Alex Cora every day and you get to hang out with, you know, Xander Bogarts every day right. and, you know, the pitchers will come to you and say, hey, Chris, what did you do against this guy? You know, you feel a lot more useful. In that way, Um, you know, a lot more part of the team, the organization. In that way, I I think one of the things about being in Florida at extended spring is you're not out of sight, out of mind, but you know that you're not with the team and you're not really close to being with the team, right? Right. Um, So I just think mentally, it's a huge lift for him. I think it's the little things like that that you miss when you are away from the game. And how often do you hear retired players talk about? And what do they miss the most? I miss the guys. The guys, yeah, I the miss the yeah, I You know, absolutely. I miss three hours before the right. game playing cards. The poker games, yeah. Right. You know, just the little things like that that, that come with the life, that sure. come with being a professional. Um, and, and I think this is his first road trip that he's done. So I, I think, of course, you know, if, if he's looking at it and thinking it's just going to be a novelty and a one off and he's going to ride the bus one time, <laughs> that makes it a little more palatable. Yeah,
0: right, right. As well. <laughs> Uh, right, it's not, you're not looking at a summer of uh, bus trips to Scranton.
1: He's not going from <laughs> Scranton to Durham, right. and then back to, you know, right. Like it's not like that.
0: Right, up to Buffalo and all that. You know, right.
1: flying commercial to, to Louisville or Memphis, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, great, you yeah. know. But,
0: well, I, I'm, I'm sure that his teammates uh, with the uh, sox are certainly looking forward to him coming on the road trip, because that usually means a nice meal.
1: He, he has promised that uh, he will be funding team dinners so long as he is there. And it's probably not like a McDonald's drive through either. Uh, it's not going to be Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> While they go to Scranton, with right, all due wah-wah. respect to Wawa. Oh, boy. Uh, you got to love Wawa, but uh, <laughs> it is not going to be Wawa. Gotcha. Chris Sale is going to do better than Wawa, I would think. <laughs> right. Right. Uh,
0: so, Bill, we are at, at this uh, weird time now here in the season where it's, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I looked at it as a make or break point for the other teams mm. uh, because the Red Sox were in first place and they were approaching the deadline and, and uh, we had... Some uh, some high hopes as to maybe go out, going out and adding a, uh, a legitimate uh, rotate piece of the rotation, or maybe address the uh, needs at first base. And didn't really do well. They certainly didn't add a piece of the rotation. And I'm not sure how much Kyle Schwarber is going to give you, uh, let alone first base anywhere else. Just see see how you know how he is when he comes back. But now we're in this sort of make or break time the other way around, looking at the other side of the glass here. You know the Red Sox. Uh, are game and a half out, and uh, I think they've lost five of their last six. They're eight and eight since the break. Yeah, uh, the teams around them have gotten better. You know, it, it would be a, sh- a shame and a huge disappointment if one month from now it's the Boston Red Sox who are six, seven games out, and this what what started out as this great surprise, feel-good season. Sort of
1: redemptive type of yeah, year? Yeah,
0: exactly. This and, and what was nice about it was the, the Sox had, the team themselves, they had this little chip on their shoulder for a while. It felt really organic, didn't uh, it? Well, it also felt like, you know, hey, nobody else believed that we could do this, and we're showing you that we can, but, you know, it's almost looking like... We're right and they're wrong now, <laughs> you know. It, well, it, it's hopefully hard. not, but it's sort of going down that path a little bit. No,
1: it, it's hard to describe the Red Sox being who they are and the franchise that they are as being plucky, in right. a way. Right, but, but that's kind of what they were. They were, yeah. Um, you know, and and it's not, I, I, and nor should it be often that a team like the Red Sox should be able to play the we've been disrespected and how dare they don't believe in us, right. Card, <laughs> um, but they have, but they have, yeah. And and coming into this year, I yes, uh, they were outperforming. What we all expected. Uh, I I understand that. Um, At the start of the year, I I said, I think they could win 85 games. I I thought they'd be a winning team. Right. um, But I did not necessarily think that they would lead the division or or be a playoff contender. Right. Right. And I think that's probably why fans feel frustrated coming out of the deadline, is that ownership in the front office behaved like they were still that team that we all thought could only win 85 games. Right. Right. They didn't necessarily react... To the situation. They stuck with the long-term plan, whatever that may be. Yep. The goal, that possibility into the future. Mm-hmm. Does that include J.D. Martinez opting out? How about Xander Bogarts opting out after next season? Ooh, yeah. How about Rafael Devers leaving in free agency? It's not a guarantee that you're going to have any of those three guys going forward. Right. Nathan Evaldi walks after next season. Yep. yep. You're going to resign him? If you don't, he's gone. You have a big hole at the top of your rotation. Yeah. Chris Sale's still here, but
0: what version of Chris Sale is still here? What version of Chris yeah. Sale
1: is still here going into his mid-30s? Is Tanner Houck all of a sudden a number two starter? Does Brian Matta, Thaddeus Ward, do either one of those guys get healthy suddenly? Forgot about those guys, yeah. Because they had Tommy John right. surgery. Are, are they back on the path to being worthwhile guys? You don't know. What you did know is that you were 23 games over five hundred going into the trade deadline. Right. You had a really good story going here with Alex Cora coming back and a team playing well. And a team that felt good about it themselves and a fan base that was embracing that all of it and you've turned them off with your actions here in the last few days well and and
0: ultimately what your performance has been lately on the field too you know now they have a ch- they have an opportunity that they're off i believe they're off yeah, the other off tonight uh, we're recording this on uh, on monday they go out to detroit for a three-game series detroit sub 500 uh, and then they go to Toronto, which will be an interesting series for uh, mm. four games. And then they come home and host the Rays. So they've got a couple of uh, division rivals there. And look, you know, if they can, uh, you know, this next these next 10 games go 7-3 and three and, you know, kind of uh, right the ship a little bit, then then our, our next podcast is going to be all roses and balloons. But, <laughs> but, uh, everything's great again. Everything's great again. Right. But, but there, you know, as we've discussed many times this, this year and neither of us are fans of math, the math is going to start coming into play soon. <laughs> That's
1: right. You know, please, please don't make me add subtract <laughs> I, I won't. In, I'm in just going to say
0: that, you know, if, if we're sitting here a week to 10 days from now and they're, you know, let's say, Four games out of first place, uh. Uh, you know, and and now you've got the Rays, and maybe the Yankees are right there with you. You know that uh, that doesn't that doesn't add up very well for you.
1: Well, a, a few things about their August schedule. First, the Yankees are mostly behind you now. I think you only have six games with them left. I think you're right, yeah, which is good, right? Because all of a sudden they look formidable. Yeah, you. <laughs> you, you you're going, you're going. you to
0: Yankee Stadium uh, mid-August, and I think you. They come back to the. I think they come back to Fenway at some point after that. You
1: know, Aaron Judge is off the COVID list. Gio Rochelle right. is off the COVID list. <laughs> uh You know, they they made a sneaky addition actually in their rotation. Andrew Heaney was somebody who I mentioned. Yep, yep. Uh, in a pre in a pre-deadline column. Uh, somebody who's a strikeout guy. They must have read the column and said, uh, let, let's clearly, go get him. <laughs> Clearly, Brian Cashman's reading me. Yeah. Um, but a, a, you know, an unsightly ERA, he's 532 before the trade. Uh-huh. But someone who had 105 strikeouts in 88 innings, someone who had a 93%, he was in the 93rd percentile in terms of chase rate. That means guys go out of the zone against him, and he has pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, you bring the lefty into Yankee Stadium. Historically, that's worked well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so maybe they can shape him in some way. Plus, you get him out of you get him out of Anaheim. Which, I mean, when was the last time the Angels had a good pitcher? Shohei Otani.
0: Oh, right. Okay, good one. Good but one. Who was the last time, before Shohei Otani, they've had a good pitcher, Someone right? who they drafted and developed. <laughs> yes, yes. You
1: know, somebody along those lines? Right, right. Ooh, Shohei Otani, shame on me.
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, but you think of him more as a hitter. At least I do, but yeah. Oh, I
1: Thanks. think of him as the AL MVP. <laughs> yes, uh, But But yeah. that, that's a discussion we'll have in September. For sure, for um, sure. But no, I, I look at the Sox, and I, I think, you know, it's a good thing that the Yankees are mostly behind them. Yep. Um, that, I, that's for sure. You, you caught the Yankees at a good time when they were scuffling, they were injured, they
0: didn't have these these pickups, so, you know, uh, hey, you take the wins against the Yankees any way you can get them and any time you can get them.
1: You have a couple doubleheaders this month, but you also have five days off yeah. in August,
0: which yeah. is nice. Yeah, they, they did have a, a kind of a brutal stretch there going into the break. They were very busy and they had a couple of rain delays, so they had some... some uh, some double so this is not to make excuses for them, but yes, they do have some built-in days off coming up.
1: And then when you get into the second half of the month, you have Texas coming here for three. Mm. They sold, the Twins coming here for three. They sold. They yeah. sold. We'll get to see Rocco. Get to see Rocco, which yeah. would be nice if he's still with the team. Oh, Rocco's okay. <laughs> he's he's having a tough year. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm joking. Uh, and they sold, um, you know, prudently because they're at the bottom of that division and right. You know, right now, the White Sox look really good. And, and, and they got better. A couple huge moves. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, obviously bringing in Craig Kimbrell and, and then.
0: And they gave up, They gave, if I
1: remember correctly, Bill, the White
0: Sox gave up one of their blue chip prospects for him, which shows you that they're going for it They here. gave up Nick
1: Madrigal, who is yeah. hurt, uh, you know, has a hamstring injury. I think he's out for the year. Uh, but Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, who who's a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, Madrigal was a, a big prospect for them. He's sort of a no power good glove, good contact, second baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a high draft pick. Um, you know, certainly someone who, you know, Chicago valued. Um, but they just wanted to put Kimrill at the back end with Liam Hendricks. Yeah. Uh, if I'm the Cubs, I understand you got a return, but you're helping the White Sox win the World Series. <laughs> I don't know if I can make that deal yeah, with Chicago. That that really yeah, that was strange. That was a that was a strange one. But yeah. The second half of the month for the Sox, you've got the Rangers, the Twins, you're at Cleveland, who yep. isn't really going anywhere.
0: Right. When, when do they become the Guardians, by the way? Because it still says the Indians on it. I guess it's next year? Next, next year. year, okay.
1: Next year, right. they change everything over. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then you go back to Tampa at the end of the month, going into September. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you have some softer touches here on the schedule. You've also got the Orioles coming in. Yep. So there are some teams that you should be able to take advantage of mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, if you just sort of play the Rays and the Yankees and the Blue Jays even, and then you sort of clean up on the Potsies, you should be able to be above five hundred for the month. Poor Potsie. Um, I know. It's tough. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's not a guarantee when, when you consider sort of like the headspace that they're in right now. I, I just don't think, I don't think if I was a player in that clubhouse that I would be thrilled. Um, and, and this is where the value of Alex Cora comes in mm. because he's got to get his guys on side here. Uh, you know, I think he goes a long way to snapping them out of this if they're able to. I, I think he brings a lot of intangibles to that job, and and we've said that before. Sure, sure. Uh, From the time but he this is absolutely when team.
0: absolutely when he is needed the most here. Yeah, they they've hit a mm-hmm. they've hit a uh, a, a, a rut at a really critical point of the season, uh, and you've got a lot of people questioning them now. So yes, this is when Alex Cora sort of uh, does his magic and hopefully can kind of keep them with their heads up and because it's it certainly it hasn't slipped away but it's just it's the, that grip on their grip on that division obviously is is much uh, much more tenuous right
1: it, it just doesn't have a great feeling from the right. outside looking in um you know and someone like Cora is, is able to get through to the players he his communication skills are, are the strongest skills that he has right um you know just that sort of feel for his clubhouse for his roster um, he's exactly the type of guy who you'd lean on right now to sort of snap them out of this. Um, you know. But it is going to be a challenge for him. I, I think in terms of his roster, uh, in terms of maybe the, the feeling around that team, um, this is going to be one of the bigger challenges that he's faced as Red Sox manager. And, and I think, you know, I don't think that they're in any sort of jeopardy yet in terms of having a playoff spot and, and going to October. Yep. Um, but the division... They have a couple of bad weeks here, and Tampa sort of keeps it rolling here. It's hard to fight from behind. It, it just is when the games For sure. sort of reach a certain spot. They've got 55 left. Yep. If you get to four or five games out with 50 left, you're going to have to do some work Absolutely. at that point. It becomes a little bit of labor. Um, you know. So I do think that, that they have a challenge right now going to Detroit. You hope that they can regroup on this off day and, and sort of get right against the Tigers but um, it does feel maybe a little more tenuous right now than it has in a little while sure for sure well we'll see where they are uh, in uh, after this uh, after this
0: uh, trip out to Detroit and uh, Toronto and uh, then they'll coming back uh, to host the uh, next week to host the race and we'll see where they are when we do this again but Bill I don't want to um, I don't want to wrap up before uh, mentioning that uh, you had the pleasure And the privilege of covering uh, probably the most important baseball game in Rhode Island last week. And uh, that's, uh, you know, obviously we don't have the Paw Sox anymore, but that would be the Little League Championship game. Yes. And how did that go up in, uh, lovely? It was up in Cumberland, right? Up
1: in Cumberland at Garvin Field, uh, behind the elementary school there. Uh, Definitely a place that I've been before, at least once or twice. (laughs) Um, I've definitely chased a little league game there yeah. like too. Uh, North Providence against Warwick Continental American. Yeah. Uh, that is the merged old Warwick Continental and Warwick American. Okay. Uh, Warwick had four little leagues when I grew up. Now they have two, mm-hmm. um, and they've sort of Warwick North is West Side, which I played and National.
0: Okay. Um. So this is the other. This is the other two.
1: And uh, the cool thing about North Providence winning is uh, is their first state title. Yeah, I was going to say for that the twelve year old boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that has not. You know, I remember driving to the game and, and thinking to myself, North Providence, that's new. Yeah, well, you know, the smaller
0: communities that, that they usually don't have uh, as money, as much luck because they're obviously drawing from a smaller player pool. You know, Warwick has is much bigger, and, and you're drawing from a. a, a more kids and stuff, so it's nice to see it every now and then when you know Lincoln would would win or North Prov- now North Providence and you know it's not uh, it's not it's not always Warwick or Pawtucket or Cranston or you know, the the big cities.
1: There have been stretches where Lincoln, Cranston, Western, and Cumberland American have really dominated mm. uh, in terms of the state's Little League scene over the last couple decades. Yeah, those those have been sort of the power programs, and and a lot of that is due. To coaching, it's due to culture. Sure, um, you know it's due to emphasis on, you know that league being a big deal, and, and it starts young. A lot of these
0: players have been playing together for for years, and and you know kind of have gone up and, and become uh, all staters uh, in high school later on, right?
1: Right, and and so you sort of you see that sort of feed over and over and over. Yep. Um you know anybody who remembers like Mike Verrado coaching at Cranston Western or Randy Heen coaching yep. at Lincoln. Lincoln yeah. Dave Belisle coaching at Cumberland American. Um you know those guys just knew how to win. Mm-hmm. Uh you know and got their rosters to a point where they knew <coughs> how to win. Um North Providence really without as much tradition, uh, but you know, I remember about a decade ago they had a really good high school team. Uh, a kid named Anthony Aceto was the Gatorade Player of the Year. He went to UConn. Uh, they had another guy named Mike Corin who went to URI. He was on their NCA t- uh, tournament team um, and was a really good player there. Um, you know, and it, it's sort of one of those things where you know North Providence is good, and they lost their first game of the tournament, and then they win nine in a row, and. You sort of start to get to this, you know, they get this feel like, hey, we're going to do this, yeah. you know, yep. and and we finally break through and win District 1 and we're going to get to the state tournament and now, you know, you're not going to stop us yeah. because we've already gone through that's great. the hard part. Um, you know, so that that's always cool to watch. The, the best thing about watching Little League Baseball is just the enthusiasm of the kids. Sure. Um, you know, just how pure it is for them, how excited they are. Um,
0: yeah. Well, it's a, it's a life moment for them. They, they will always remember winning the state championship for the rest of their lives. And, the, you know, they have connections with these same kids and they grow up, go through high school
1: and college and later on in life. They'll always say, hey, you remember when we won the state title? And, you know, even as 12 year old boys, they're, they're conscious of that. Yeah. You know, they say it at the time. And, and maybe it's the coaches repeating that message to them or or their parents they say it but they don't know it really Um, you know they'll know it when they're 22 or when they're 32 Mm -hmm. uh, you know and they see each other and they have kids of their own playing Uh, you know and they say wow you know that was a lot of fun that summer and we were really good yeah Um, you know so they go to Bristol next weekend um, <clears throat> unfortunately we will not uh, there is a, a media limitation uh, at Bristol and in Williamsport this year due to COVID-19
0: so is any virtual stuff going on
1: I would assume uh, all those games are gonna be on the ESPN family networks right. probably right. ESPN plus very early yeah. um, you know you'll be watching those there uh, you know and, and who knows what can happen once you get there uh, I mean, sure. Rhode Island has had a fair slice of luck recently. Absolutely. In terms of what we've been able to do yeah. uh, on the regional level. Um, you know, So we wish the North Providence guys the best. Mm-hmm. Um, great battle by Warwick Continental American. Uh, I actually saw some guys in their lineup. I think I knew a few of their fathers. Probably, yeah. Uh, that makes you feel a little old, huh? I felt a little old. Uh, a couple of their fathers were like five years younger than me, too. Uh, and they got 12-year-olds out there. So I felt really old uh, at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, But it, it is it is great to see the kids You know, show their skills out there. And, and it's great that we are back to having that tournament after not doing it last summer. That's right. Due to COVID. Um, the fact that guys are back on the field that we are going to have regionals, that we are going to have a world series this year. Um, you know, it's just, it's just another step in the fact that we are headed in the right direction on the whole. Let's Certain, hope. certain Let's places hope. struggling, yeah. of course, yeah. but
0: yeah, this, uh, this, um, this latest it, twist with the, with the Delta variant is, is scary, but yeah. you know, if you haven't, if you've been thinking about getting the vaccine and haven't, and you're on the fence, please do, please, please. do, because it, it, you help not only yourself, but the rest of us, uh, and, uh, You know, I I think uh, we can't really get back to fully normal until we have really the the, uh, everybody who can get vaccinated gets vaccinated. So anyway, Bill, uh, our best wishes, as you said, go out to uh, North Providence as they as they march on in the regional Little League tournament. Mm. And we will keep an eye on the Boston Red Sox and see what's up. And we will do this again in a week.
1: Thanks, Bill. Thanks.